HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble. This fall, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Monday, August 28th, 2023, and this is our 363rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. This show will be broadcast next week, shortly after Labor Day. So today, my guest is an outstanding chef and co-owner of a popular Mexican-inspired restaurant group based in New York City as well as a new restaurant where we are on location today, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to do the unexpected. Yes, forget the norm and what's considered standard, and what others may do or assume you should be doing, and instead do the contrary, bringing an element of surprise to the world. Life would simply be boring if we all did the same thing and acted the same way day in and day out, and there would be no advancement. It's up to us to push boundaries and dare to be different. So let's remember to take the untraditional route and think out of the box, as you or I can be the next great game changers. That's my tip today. Okay, so I'm thrilled to be on location. I love my on-location shows. And I'm with the Game Changer. His name is Alex Stupak. He is the chef and co-owner of the Empion Restaurant Group based in New York City, as well as Misha, his latest restaurant, where we are today. Born in Massachusetts, Alex became a scholar of the avant-garde and molecular gastronomy movements. He worked as the pastry chef at Clio in Boston with Ken Oranger then at Alinea in Chicago with Grant Atkins, and at WD50 in New York City with Wiley Dufresne. 
He went on to open multiple restaurants under the Empion brand, including a Midtown Manhattan flagship location, currently ranked number 19 on the New York Times 100 Best Restaurants in New York City list. Alex was also selected as one of Food and Wine Magazine's Best New Chefs in 2013 and has since received multiple James Beard Foundation Award nominations, including one for his book in 2015 titled Tacos, Recipes, and Provocations. Provocations? Provocations. Provocations. And that's my intro. Without further ado, hi, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for visiting today. My pleasure. I just uh, jumped across town, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've dined here now twice and loved it. And I love this new space. Love having you. Thank you. Um, so, as I said, I love on location shows and looking at your gorgeous kitchen behind you. But before we get into this restaurant, I always like to start with my guests about their history a little bit and to take us back. So, what led you into this fabulous culinary world? Gee, um, I grew up when you watched all the cooking shows on Sunday on PBS. You got to watch um, In Julia's Kitchen with Master Chefs and Great Chefs and all those. And, and even though I was a kid, I was probably like seven or eight years old when I was watching those. Um, I had no idea who like Jean-Louis Paladin or John George von Richten were, but you were kind of watching this greatness. And it got under my skin. You know, my, I showed interest in cooking at a young age. My parents would buy me cookbooks for kids and I would, you know, rummage through our kitchen and try to find to see if we had any of the ingredients for any of the things in the books, which we often did not. Um, and when it got time for high school, uh, I was lucky that the high school I went to had a vocational program. So you could opt to not go the traditional route and, you know, get ready for SATs and all that. And you could learn to be a plumber or a carpenter or a cook. They didn't call it culinary arts there. They called it food services. But uh, I studied food services in high school for four years. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. in high school. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I think, kind of rare. Um, so you started out more in the pastry side of things. I actually didn't. Oh, you didn't? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I started as a cook. I was never interested in pastry whatsoever. Uh, along the way, a couple things happened. Um, El Bulli was becoming a very big deal. Yes. And I was working for a chef who was very globally aware. And he was, um, this is Ken Oranger in Boston. And he was like, these are, these are the people to watch. And as a gift, he gave me a tremendous gift. He gave me Albert Adria's first book. Okay. You know, and I I studied it and I studied it and I studied it. And even though I I was, you know, translating Spanish, I didn't speak it. um, It it just made so much sense to me, like this creative way of mapping things and codifying things. And I just got in my head that I wanted to start weaseling my way into the pastry kitchen there were some other reasons, too, which are, you know, in retrospect, they're not great reasons. Um, how to say it? I was young and I had an ego and I liked the idea that if you could become a pastry chef, they put your name on the menu and you get to come up with your own dishes. And at the age of, you know, 22 or whatever I was, that was really important to me. You know, in retrospect, those are horrible reasons. Um, but but yeah, I um I, I started off savory and I kind of pushed my way 
into the pastry kitchen. Wow, interesting. Because, I mean, because, yeah, I guess whenever I learned about you as a chef, it was more as pastry, which you excelled in. Um, so No one knew who I was until I, I left Alinea and came to New York. And that was, that was my introduction, you know, and yeah, I was known as a pastry chef because I got to be one at some pretty special restaurants. Yeah, and you got to work with Wiley. I got to work with Wiley, which was an amazing experience. So then when did you get the bug that you wanted to have your own place? Did so, ego th- come into this well, no, did, at all? <laughs> I mean, well, there's always ego, right? There, I mean, there has to be. I mean, I think we think of ego in negative context sometimes, but you know, ego and sense of self are important drivers in life. No, so I always had it in my head, you have to have your own place. You have to have your own restaurant. You know, I just, at the same time, had getting, I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the fold of pastry. And I had it in my head that I had to have my own restaurant by the age of 30. And I don't know why I had that, you know, arbitrary number in my head, but I did. And I was working at WD-50, I was getting closer and closer to that age, and I never was interested in only doing pastry, you know, only having a bakery or, or something dessert-focused. That, that didn't make sense to me. So I have a very weird resume for what I did next, if that makes sense. Well, it, unexpected, I guess, from looking at your resume, that you went to open Mexican-inspired mm-hmm. restaurants a restaurant that turned into a restaurant group. Um, did you, so where did that come from? It, it, it's complicated, you know, and people ask me still to this day, they're like, well, why Mexican? Do you have Mexican background? You know, that's the question. And that's always bothered me. That question's always bothered me because if I had left WD-50 and opened a French restaurant, no one would be like, well, do you have French background? It comes down to, the way we think about different cuisines and how we think about authenticity and, you know, who gets to cook what. Uh, when people ask me what I'm doing when I'm not in the kitchen, the answer is cooking, just cooking things I don't normally get to cook or form opinions on. So while being a pastry chef for, you know, almost a decade, I was studying Mexican cooking, you know, behind the scenes. And I just was becoming very, very fascinated with it. When I was getting closer to, saying, well, I have to put together a business plan and and do my own restaurant. The one that I was pedigreed to do, you know, sort of the third coming of molecular gastronomy, it just didn't feel right. You know, it it felt like, you know, planning a wedding and you've always been meant to marry that person. It just makes sense on paper um, and your family gets along with their family and all that. But once you start trying to plan that freaking wedding, it's just like, God, I don't want to do it. I I don't want to marry this person. So the craziest thing would be to then open a place and serve tacos. So if creativity is doing what's unexpected and doing what you don't know how to do, the craziest thing was weirdly also the most logical thing. Yeah. So there you go. And I opened them Bayon. And what year, wait, what year did the first one open? 2011. 11. Yeah. It's amazing because now 12 years later, yeah, you're we're, still... We're still on the battlefield, so... Yeah. Do you find when, 
I mean, obviously, my tip today, I was thinking of you a bit because I feel you, or at least you, you know, you push boundaries or you do things maybe unexpected, like at least from a consumer looking in, looking at your resume from mm-hmm. the outside and thinking, okay, he's opening Mexican-inspired restaurants. Um, but do you find like the, 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 when people are kind of the naysayers or maybe that motivates you more in a sense, do you get that? It does. It, it, I don't know how to say it. It hurts and it feels good all at the same time. Yeah. You know, I, as I go on, I really do want things to work and I, I want everything we do to be well received. But at the same time, it's just not within me to do anything boring, you know? Yeah. It, it's just, it's hard. I, and I only know New York City. I've only ever opened restaurants here. But it's weird to me because sometimes it feels like we, we punish and critique most harshly things that are the most daring. And that's a bummer because it does hurt. It, you know, it hurts your feelings and it wears you down. Um, but at the same time, what, what am I supposed to do? You know, the same thing as everyone else. No, yeah. that's, um, yeah. I mean, I admire it. And I think, I think it's what you, what you've brought to New York with your restaurants is, is awesome. I went the other night to Taqueria in West Village cause I hadn't been in a while. Got some nice shrimp tacos. Love that. Um, yeah, I was, I was due to go back cause I, I've mentioned to you before that I live over by, Waterline Square, that location. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been there more recently. But um, yeah, so you have, and all of your places, I mean, they're, we'll talk a little about them. Like, are the menus, the taquerias, are the menus the exact same? Are they all a little different? You, I wanted them to be the exact same um, originally, but they are a little bit different. Um, what I found is that anytime you open in a new location, there is some, even in your own city, the neighborhoods change and then the people change and what they need and want from your restaurant changes. So yeah, they're not, they're not cookie cutter. No. Yeah. So you got the two taquerias, you got Empeon, your flagship, Mm -hmm. and then you also have, um, we have Empeon El Pastor, which is a bar down in the East East Village. Village. Yes. And they're all, well, how did you get through the pandemic with all of that. Um, I got through the <laughs> pandemic because my business partners are incredible people and my landlords are incredible people. That's nice. Yeah, that is nice because you heard a lot of stories and you kind of realize, look, everyone's situation is different, right? They're all, they're all snowflakes. It was equally hard for everyone. Um, but yeah, what made it possible was that I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by people that are um, long-term focused. You yeah. Know? And, and we, we all kind of held hands through it and tried our best to get to the other side. And by the way, now that we are on the other side, you know, quote unquote, it's still not the same. And there's still a lot of navigation to it. Yeah. I mean, can you, I don't know if you want to get more specific into that or. The, the post-pandemic stuff? <laughs> yeah. Like it, um, I think here, here's like, a, it has nothing to do with restaurants, but just like a behavioral trait in New York City that I've noticed. I remember that no matter what, if there was a square inch of space on the subway to sit down, someone would, you know, force their way into that and take that seat. And now you'll see a full train where people are still trying to distance themselves a little bit. Not yeah. like socially distance, not like three feet, 
But yeah, now everyone's given them 18 inches and they just won't take that seat. That's post-pandemic. Um, you know, work has changed. People don't go into the office like they used to. They just don't go into the office on Monday and Friday. Yeah, and you're in Midtown. You have two spots now, so which you might feel or notice that more. Yeah, you definitely feel it here. Yeah. So let's talk about where we're at, Misha, because you you went a different direction from this. We're not in Empion the Hue. <laughs> no, no, we're not. Um, yeah, Empion, we've opened uh, one, two, I think we've opened six Empion restaurants in total. We've also closed a couple over the years. Um, and this was a totally new thing. And it was coming from, there, there was something bubbling under the surface. So my team, you know, I have people on my team who have worked with me for, I mean, some since the beginning, you know, some for about 12 years now. Uh, I don't think people are on my team solely because they're interested in Mexican cuisine. You know, their backgrounds are, are far too diverse for that. I think they're on the team because we're a creative restaurant group. Um, unfortunately, when dealing with Mexican cuisine, sometimes the conversation just gets relegated to, well, how Mexican is it? Well, how real deal is it? You know, and, and things are changing, things are getting better, but, you know, French cooking gets to be creative, you know, other cuisines get to be creative and explore. Um, you know, we were kind of seeing the limits of our brand and also I wanted my team to be able to cook or make whatever they wanted. So beyond what we do at Empeon. So if Empeon has Mexican inspired covered, we were like, well, how can we cover almost anything else? And it was logical that we had to call it an American restaurant. We had to do an American restaurant because American means veritably everything. What does the name Misha mean? Well, Misha's a person's name, and I love restaurants that are named after people because people are impossible to pigeonhole. So in that way, I would never name a restaurant after myself, but what if I could come up with a fictitious person, um, create their background, you know, create their, you know, likes and dislikes and let that be sort of the roadmap to writing the whole script. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Like, oh, so your next place could be called Sherry. <laughs> it could be. Um, Never know. It, it, I think there's a, there's a common story. Um, I think mothers tend to all tell their children what they almost named them. So I like that idea. Um, yeah. If you were almost named something else, who would you be? Would you be a completely different person? Would you have gone in a completely different direction? So that was the idea. You know, I'm an Alex, but maybe I was almost a Misha. And so not to get too, um, you know, philosophical and weird and all this, but if Empeon is going in one direction, let's get, we need to give this a new name, a new mark. So I like the idea of a person. Empeon is a very, like, declarative name. It means to... I was about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, so in all the different ways you can name a restaurant, right? You can name it after a food or a product or a place or a person. Yeah. Um, you know, Empeon is very much like Alinea. Alinea, you know, Grant interpreted that word to mean a new train of thought, you know? So basically dedicating yourself to 
perpetual creativity. Empeon means to push. So I liked that. I and interpret it as, well, what are you pushing? You're pushing yourself um, beyond your own boundaries. You're pushing boundaries themselves. So that's what Empeon wants to do with Mexican cooking. It wants to break stereotypes and work against them. Now, Misha, we're kind of obscuring the, the agenda because it's a person. Okay. So did this person think there would be that much attention to a hot dog that's on your menu? No, Misha was not expecting everyone <laughs> to focus on the hot dog that much. You know, so, over the years, I have, yeah, I have a lot of experience with tacos and how those can piss people off and people have a lot of opinions about tacos. Turns out they have way more opinions about hot dogs. Well, your hot dog is delicious. Thank um, you. It's, 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 a, what is it? Am I getting a $29 hot dog that's been written by the New York Post, New York Times, and their two-star review, which was a great review, highlighted that especially. Yeah, and, I, and I get why they did that. Um, I disagree with it. You know, um, the hot dog came from a very intellectual place. The veggie burger that's on our menu, our mushroom patty melt, was meant to be the, the thing that I wanted everyone to notice because it was like, how do you have an American restaurant and have its only burger be plant-based? That, that was an innovation. You yeah, know, yeah. veggie burgers are always, in a restaurant, they're always sort of the, the second choice or the vegetarian option to the actual burger. How do you not have the burger in an American restaurant. That was the real trick. That was, that was the creative point. And people miss that. <laughs> or, yeah. they, or they interpret it differently. It's not maybe missing it, but it's like, it's interesting to see what people pick up on. Um, 100%. Unexpected. And, and what, would, what would the reviews have been? Think about it. it like one of, the, one of the tricky things about this business is to, one, stay in business. That seems like the point. Yeah. And then the other is to not get cynical along the way and not lose yourself. So I want everything that we do to be creative, whether it's a Mexican restaurant, an American restaurant, I, I want it to be something that no one else would do but us, you know, and how do you, what, what would this restaurant have been if I said like, well, fine, here's your tuna tartare and here's your, you know, your cheeseburger. Well, like a, really another, another chefy cheeseburger in, in New York City. That's, I don't know, that's depressing to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I think from being here and looking at your menu and having dined here, it's, um, you, even if there's something like a Caesar salad or something like it's more traditional, it's your own spin on it. Nothing is traditional I, in my take, and everything has been so delicious. Thank you. The, the, the other bigger goal here was to, um, we wanted to avoid a certain set of cuisines, that I think are just generally the most loved in New York City. And we wanted to really frame the restaurant as very normal feeling, very approachable. I wanted it to just be a new useful restaurant here in Midtown. But then what we're trying to slip through is a much bigger spice cabinet, if that makes sense. That that was the bet. You know, I feel like American restaurants, you know, I don't know, I don't like the waspy country club food. And it, it seems to be always that plus a little bit of French, a little bit of Italian, and a little bit of Japanese. So, and everyone immediately loves all those things. Everyone immediately thinks those things are amazing, whether they actually are being well executed or not. So that was the other part. So you get to see like how, we're, like how we dug into this restaurant. One was like, how do you deal with the burger? 
And two was how do you avoid what people think of as typical American? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you're taking everything in, in my opinion, to another level. Even this year, I had lunch. I had lobster roll. I had that amazing lobster roll is amazing, but that your roast beef mm-hmm. on that your bread program itself. I, what's that bread called that it's on? Dutch again? crunch. I never had that before. Me neither. And um, it's, it's a West fantastic. Coast thing. Yeah, it's a West Coast yeah. thing. Um, yeah, and bread was a big deal here too because it was our first restaurant without tortillas. So that was, that was a learning curve. Um, Justin Binney, who's the pastry chef, he's um, a very talented bread baker and he's been with us for a long time. So he really took charge of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your bread program, your pastry program, the whole thing is is. Wonderful. And I noted before about the Hue for people who might not know what I'm talking about. You're on the second floor of this uh, Midtown building above Mm -hmm. a a really beautiful food court called the Hue. Yeah, fancy Um, food hall. Yeah. And and smack in Midtown. So, and you're open now here, lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Lunch five days, dinner six. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, so how do you manage your time? Because you got, you got... Five places now in you, the city. Every day is different. You you kind of say like, well, this is what I'm going to do this week, and this is what I'm going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, but then every day something happens, yeah. and it, it throws it all off. So you really are, you know, all the romantic ways you can talk about it aside, you really are a custodian of sorts of this thing that you built. You know, you really are at service to it and all the people that are within it. Yeah, well, true. Do you, would you, are you, I don't know, are you planning to open more places and would you open a place outside of New York City? Uh, We are planning on opening more places. Okay. Uh, I would like to open outside of New York City. I think that's another important, you know, trick to learn. So one, could we not do Mexican inspired. Could we put a new brand out there that worked? So that's, that's a new trick. Another would be, can you be successful in another city? And that's what I'd like to do for Empeon. You know, Empeon has tinkered and experimented and been very opportunistic within New York city. Whereas now I would like to distill it down to its very best self, its most iconic self and take it to another city. I would love to do that. Any hint of where that would be, or stay tuned. Well, we have no, we have nothing okay. planned right now. Um, you know, I know everyone seems like they all went down to Miami. Well, um, many did, my and, hometown, and that makes a lot of sense to a New Yorker because everyone in Miami is from New York, and there's no time zone change and all that. So that's a very that that might be a pragmatic choice. Um, I think London is the most ready for what we do. Um, and what scares me the most, which I tend to go towards, would be Los Angeles. Los Angeles would scare me the most to open. Why? So, um, there's just, I mean, you know, it, my joke is this, whether I'm about to get insulted or complimented, um, it often starts with, well, I'm from LA. <laughs> I get that all the time. It's like, um, this is the worst Mexican food I've ever had. And I'm from LA. So I know. So yeah. yeah there, there's yeah. um 
there seems to be a, a cultural birthright there where like, well, I'm from L.A., so I grew up with amazing Mexican food. Yeah, I hear you on that. Well, I'm from Miami, and I think it's amazing Mexican food that you have. Um, I could see you in all those cities. Yeah, I could see you in a lot of other cities too. I would you know? love to be in all of them one yeah. day. We have to. We have to begin to put that plan together. I do think I. I don't think I want to open at Bayonne anymore in New York. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd like to take it to another city. I think I would like to continue to open new exciting things here in New York. Yeah. Could see all that. Okay, so before we take a break, one last question. I have this new book out called Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World. I want to know, what's your number one chef advice for like an aspiring cook or someone out there who's thinking, oh, maybe, do I want to do this restaurant chef fee thing or maybe not? My number one advice is you really had better make sure that you love it and that you're passionate about it. Because... Yeah. Um, it is hard. It's very hard. So if that, that passion, if that passion's in place, it will keep you going um, during those hard times. If that passion isn't in place, you're going to find out and it's going to break you. <laughs> Great advice. And on that note, let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Cheese lovers, assemble! From September 29th through October 1st, Wisconsin Cheese is proudly hosting their first ever Art of Cheese Festival this fall in the home of cheese, Madison, Wisconsin. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, chocolate, and coffee Yes Coffee from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheesemaking knowledge with a curds on, deep dive amongst the cream of the crop, and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on this pastured paradise. Run, don't walk to www.artofcheesefestival.com to snag your tickets and cheese the day. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Alex Dupac. He's the chef and co-owner of the Empion Restaurant Group based in New York City, as well as Misha, also in New York City, where we are on location today. And now it's time for my speed round. All right. I think you were born ready for this. So So what it is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, dear. Okay, let's do it. I kind of want to know the chocolate or vanilla. Chocolate. All right. I'm chocolate too. All right. Cool. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat in at home. Indoor dining or al fresco dining? Indoor forever. Air conditioning, please. <laughs> Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? It's a cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Yeah. A la carte. Surprisingly. I'm like thinking, uh, have you done tasting menu? Did Empion have tasting menu? Uh, it, Maybe a limited? One of them, one did. Um, yeah. Yeah, but for, but for me personally. Yeah. No, that was a it, it, I mean, side note. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Ooh, small plates for me. 
communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Couple more. Hot dogs or hamburgers? Hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> or veggie burgers. <laughs> um, taco Tuesday or tacos don't need a day? Taco Tuesday. One. And if you followed my, my social media, you'd know why. Consuming tacos with Alex. Mm-hmm. Awesome series. <laughs> Thank you. Your your whole social media presence is wonderful. You do it really you're 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 excellent. So Thank I look you. forward to seeing all the, the, the video, bits you do. The video thing is a new thing for me and I'm getting strangely comfortable with it. Well you're doing the one with the drinks now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's very creative. So check out Alex's uh, Instagram. Um, okay, so two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. There you go. Maybe, well, I guess you said you're not going to do more in New York, but you haven't opened one in... in well, it's more... Well, look, Manhattan, that's where all my businesses are. Uh, Brooklyn is where I go to escape them for a moment. <laughs> yeah, and eat at home. Mm-hmm. I always I always love that, that, that question where... Because I'm, I'm an eat out, but it's interesting. A lot of people in the industry have said eat at home. I don't know. Maybe that one's been like 50-50 over the years. Yeah, for sure. It, like, I, I got two small kids, and that's definitely a factor. Yeah. Uh, my wife is a chef. and Awesome. You know, chef. I thank you. I, I agree. Um, I, I couldn't imagine going out to eat without her, and then, which means we're bringing the kids. And, yeah, if I'm going to eat out, it, it's really work. It's really to, to check out something that I'm interested in versus yeah. just cooking something delicious at home, you know? Well, cool. Well, that was the game. That was fun. So, okay. So for industry news, I have two articles. The first came out a couple of weeks ago in New York Magazine and is entitled New York Magazine Names Matthew Schneier Restaurant Critic. And this was a press release on this, but New York Magazine's editor-in-chief, David Haskell, announced it. And after four years as the features writer at New York and The Cut, Matthew is now going to be writing reviews. Um, and he's also going to be saying, doing a little more answering reader questions. And um, I, you know, I did not familiar with him. I think I've read some of his articles. But one of the things that struck out, struck me was just when it laid out how New York Magazine in its 55-year history has only had two restaurant critics. It had Gail Green, who sadly passed recently, and Adam Platt. Is there only two? I thought there was another one in there. Well, they said, that's what they said in the article, and they said there were co-critics Corby Coomer and Hal Rubenstein, who I remember reading them a little bit. But, But Gail's run... It was, she was there for more than four decades and Adam was there for 22 years. Well, so then congratulations to Matthew. What an honor. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you have any, I mean, and also uh, before I want your opinion on it, but like um, Adam several years ago posted his picture online. He, he uh, went away with the anonymity as right. Steve Guzzo had did, had done. And so, so his picture in this article is right out there so anyone can see him as a restaurant reviewer. It's not, he's not trying to, you know, be a Pete Wells where go in anonymously. So do you have any, I don't know, does this, is this big news to you? It's, it's surprising news. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for, for New York Magazine because it does seem like the critic 
is going away yeah. nationally. Well, it there seemed, aren't a lot. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you had a lot of legacy critics who are, you know, uh, retiring and the publications just aren't replacing that role. So I'm surprised that New York Magazine is keeping it going um, and also happy for that. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad they have someone coming in because even, I mean, from my perspective, even a publicist or a supporter of the industry and you look at, okay, who are the reviewers who can possibly go in and write about a place? And it's like, you can count them on your hand, yeah. you know, it's, um, so I think it's good to have more voices out there. And I think it will be interesting to see, you know, to read his, his column and his reviews and perspective. So, um, Yeah. Well, stay tuned for that. Another one so, for me to worry about and look out for. <laughs> yeah, well, well, but the picture's out there. The picture's out there. I don't know how you do with Pete. Do you, when he was in, do you, did you spot him? Is a, Oh, yeah, it, it, that, that's, my, that's my job. You know, I, I, I yeah. think it's inexcusable to miss the critic. Um, and you kind of, su- you study them. You kind of profile their behavior the way some people profile like serial killers, you know. Um, so whether they're anonymous or not, uh, they're not to be missed. But even in, with, with you being aware of them, all that does is it gives the, the restaurant its opportunity to um, be its very, very, very best. But at the end of the day, the critic's going to think what they think no matter what. Yes, true. Well, I don't have a restaurant, but I, and, or I'm not a chef, but I can only imagine what it's like. Having- it's, da- it's daunting because it, 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 it makes you happy because there are so many restaurants in New York City. So it's like, wow, I'm getting reviewed. Yeah. What an honor. But also, it's stressful. It, it's, it's very anxiety-inducing um, to the whole team. You know, and years later, it's just like, let's get it over with. My back hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I, I hear you on that. Okay, so the second article I had was in the New York Times. This came out last week. The title is, After an Acclaimed Chef's Firing, Two Successors Are Named for Brooklyn Fair. As a legal fight continues, the owner of Chef's Table says he has hired two European chefs, both alumni of the Manhattan restaurant, to replace Cesar Ramirez, and this was by Florence Fabrican. So... This is Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair, a three Michelin star restaurant that mm-hmm. received three stars from New York Times from Sam Sifton back in 2011. And also it was number six on this Pete Wells list this year, this, the 100 best that he picked. Um, I mean, I don't, this is, I don't know, it's a, a big deal. I don't know. There's a lot of legal battle going back and forth with, with the chef, Caesar, and um, the owner. And now he's hired two new chefs to come on board. Um, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, I, I hope this gentleman's business is okay. I hope Caesar's okay. I hope that the legal stuff gets resolved as swiftly as possible. Um, that stuff's painful and expensive. Um, I think naming not one but two executive chefs is, that's always been a little bit, just my opinion, that's always been a little strange to me. Yeah. Why, why are there two? Yeah, why are there two? Executive means you have the final decision. No discussion, right? So why are there two? Why do they feel the need to be, you know, that, that but again, right. I don't know their situation and obviously I wish them all the best and I'm I'm sure all the decisions they're making are um, very well thought out, but I've never I've never quite understood why there are two. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I mean, it's a good. It's it's. I mean, there's. I don't know. As you're talking, I'm thinking of like other restaurants I know of that have two or or even three people in charge. I think it's sort of um, they figure it out. I don't know. I was just thinking of uh, uh, La Rock. You know, you got mm-hmm. Riyadh Nasser and Lee Hansen. I think they're both executive chef there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, again, I don't know how it works or what the mechanics are. Yeah. If it's the idea that the power of two means faster growth, then they sort of divide and conquer. Um, you know, that's what major food group feels like to me. You know, yeah, I feel they, like they, yeah, there are yeah. there are Rich's projects and there's Mario's projects. Um, you know, and they, they just support each other. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's never been that way for me. But, you know, every situation's a snowflake and everyone's different. True. And I should say, so the chefs are Max Natbensing, and he's a native of Austria, and Marco Prinz, who comes from the Netherlands. And so we'll see what they do. I mean, and it's also, Caesar apparently got another spot down um it's a like West Village or South of West Village area that he's going to be opening a new place. So um, I dined at Brooklyn Fair once way back when near when they opened. They opened in 2009. And I remember it was way back because um, it was still BYOB or BYOW or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I went with a friend because they weren't taking solo diners at the time. I don't know if they think they do now. But, you know, I do a lot of my solo dining. Um, but I I had such an exceptional meal that it, like, blew my mind. And I never went to – this was when it was in Brooklyn. And then they moved to Manhattan. I always thought about going to the Manhattan one. And I just never made it. I sort of – I think one of the reasons was my experience going to the first one was so amazing. I never wanted to, like, damper that in any way. If But I, I'm also sort of – would be curious, you know, what, how the Manhattan one was different than Brooklyn and also now with the changes happening. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying about the not wanting to check out the other one because, like, that that's a real thing where um, oftentimes um, a chef or a restaurateur, they'll they'll change things about their business to improve them. Mm -hmm. But the things that they fixed or made better, the customer actually likes them less. Yeah. You know, some, there's oftentimes, it's a disconnect. Oftentimes there are things that are imperfections in the chef's mind and the, and the restaurateur's mind. And when they get around to correcting them, the customer doesn't like it. Yeah. I would imagine in the, the new version, uh, how it was a couple of years ago, or even before this, this change in closing, I probably would have loved it. Um, also, though, I don't know what the the, the um, cost was when it closed now or what the new cost is going to be. But these are, it's an expensive experience too. So even though anyone listening to the shows know, knows that I do spend a good amount on dining, you still got to kind of, you know, budget a little bit here and there. All I know is that um, my, my first job out of culinary school was um, a restaurant called True in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And Cesar was the chef de cuisine there and he was on his way out when I was starting. So I didn't interact with him, but all I'll say is that he was a legend there. All people would ever talk about is how insanely talented this person is. I didn't know that. What year around was this? Oh gee. So this was like 2000. No, I asked because I lived in Chicago from 95 to 98 
And I remember True, I worked at Charlie Trotter's as a server. Oh, wow. In 97, 98. So I have a reference to that. And I remember True. But no, I don't, I don't think I knew that, that he came from there. So Yeah, he was, he was there and he was leaving. Um, yeah. So I, I never got to work with him. And I was just yeah. young. I just had my head down. Um, but the team, he, he clearly had a profound effect yeah. on the team there. Super talented, and I—I I mean, I, I wish him the best. I wish the the owner of 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 that's Brooklyn Fair the best, and the new chefs coming in. I mean, um, I I I, and I hope their legal battle ends as quickly and I you know painlessly so. yeah. as possible. I hope so too. That stuff's never fun. Um, so we'll stay tuned. We'll see what happens um, about that. So that was my industry news. Okay, so my, for my solo dining experience this week, I decided to stick with a little uh, Mexican-inspired cuisine. <laughs> and it is at Taqueria Ramirez. And this is a place I went to a couple months ago, actually. I just never talked about it, and so today I'm going to talk about it. So here's the rundown. The location, 94 Franklin Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. The concept, it's a Mexican street, Mexican, Mexico City street tacos concept. The chef and owner is Giovanni Cervantes. Why'd I go? Well, I kept hearing a lot of great things about this place. Just have it awesome street tacos. So I want to check it out. So my experience. So I went for a late lunch. They're open uh, a few days during the week and only starting at two. And I had heard this place had like crazy lines on the weekend. So I went, I think it was a Wednesday. Um, I got there. There were only, there was people waiting, but I only waited about five minutes, placed my order, um, for at the at the register and then they shout out you know when your order's ready and I got a seat sitting at a little chef's counter inside um I added to my order once I I got three tacos and I decided to get a fourth so while I was there so um I had this quick really great meal so what did I get so I got the suadero which is suadero thank you chef (laughs) (laughs) I was also thinking when I was going to talk about this I'm going to butcher the names and Alex is going to Kindly correct me. Okay, so that's, um, this was beef rose meat confit. Mm-hmm. Um, long, longaniza. Longaniza. Okay. Spice grounded pork sausage. Tripa, tripa? Tripa. Tripe. 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 Yeah, but, but, but giving it a little Tripa. A there. Tripa, slow cooked and low torched beef small intestines. And then I, I added on the pastor because I was sitting at the counter looking at the, yeah, <laughs> at the meats. You saw the trumpet. I saw it there, so I had to get it. Um, each taco was $5, and they were all delicious. I mean, my favorites were the langaniza and the tripe or the tripa. Um, but they were, they were really flavorful. Um, I mean, I don't – sometimes I – I don't love corn tortillas when they're made fresh. I do, but like sometimes I'm one of those people who gets a taco and like eats, takes a bite and then eats the filling out of it because mm-hmm. I for some reason don't love the flavor sometimes of of the shells. But um, it was delicious. Um, you know, God bless them. They're they're doing they're doing the the real thing. You know, yeah. and it's actually hard to do outside of Mexico. You know, people don't seem to understand. You know, it, it, Mexican food culture is very similar to Japanese food culture in this way, where, like, you go to this place for tempura, and you go to this place for sushi, and you go to this place for, you know, uh, Wagyu beef or whatever. And it's, it's the same in Mexico. So a real taqueria serves tacos. The end. 
Yeah. The end. That's it. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, in America, we tend to screw it all up because we want everything. You know what I mean? We want, oh, well, yeah. I can have tacos. Oh, and I want a salad and dessert. And, you know, we want it, we want it all to be a restaurant. You know, so I love that they pulled that off. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've been to, part of my fun fact, I've been to Mexico City in 2018. So I got to experience a little of that in the street tacos and, and enjoy and really uh, appreciate. Um, so this is nice that we have this now available in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And the ambiance, it's a casual taqueria. It only has a few stools around the counter and by the front window. It has a, like a picnic table set outside so you can um, eat outside. But a friend of mine was telling me, and I didn't realize this when I was there, but they don't do, they don't package things to go. Like you got to, you get your tacos, you eat it there. Which is the best time to eat a taco. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. No, it makes, and it, with what you're saying, like it's fresh, it's right there, you know, to be had, but they're not. Yeah. So, so they're doing things really, really well. And I'm so glad I made it and I would totally go back. I'd say it's perfect for a casual bite solo with friends. Interesting tidbit. Uh, Takaria Ramirez, a chef, um, Giovanni Cervantes was a semifinalist on the this year's James Beer Foundation Awards, and he's the restaurant's number eighty six on Pete Wells' hundred best list. So, um, personal fun fact: when I was out there in Brooklyn, I that day I also went later. I went and did some work at the Hoxton Hotel where Kafar is. Michael Solomonov, um, his he has a bunch of places there. Um, he's in my he's my book chef wise, and I got to run into him um, when I was out there, so that was fun. And um, and I had dinner at a restaurant called Crew, which uh, is a Thai restaurant that's K R U, and it's excellent. I recommend that. So the cost of my meal was twenty dollars, not including tax or gratuity. Again, five dollars taco. Would I go back? You bet. They're open Wednesday to Sunday, and their website is taquerillaramirez.com and Instagram taqueria underscore ramirez underscore. There you go. Taco Tuesday. Well, today's Monday, but. <laughs> I'll be at it tomorrow. Tacos every day. Um, okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Ari Weinsweg. He is a radical CEO and the co-founding partner of the Zingerman's Community of Businesses, which includes the legendary Zingerman's Delicatessen in Ann Arbor, which opened 40 years ago, in addition to 13 other businesses all around Ann Arbor. And um, go blue. I'm a Michigan alum and I'm going to be doing this interview in person. I'm going back to the school to go to a game and uh, meet Ari and um, I'm super excited about it. So Alex, can you please ask a question for Ari? All right, Ari. Um, I took a look at Zingerman's menu. I see Russian dressing flying around everywhere. So I know mayonnaise is in the mix. So (laughs) for you personally, mayonnaise, yes or no? And if yes, what brand is in your fridge? Ooh. I want to ask, can I ask the same to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Hellman's? I am very pro-mayonnaise. Mayonnaise and myself have a very unhealthy relationship. Um, And actually, it's not Hellman's. You know, I came up with Hellman's. um, McCormick's with lime. Yeah. I'm not familiar. I will have to look for that. Mexican brand, McCormick's. McCormick's is what's often used in Mexico. Okay. It's denser. It's thicker. Um, 
Yeah, and it's got lime flavor, and it's awesome. I'm gonna check it out. I like. I don't eat mayonnaise that much, but I'm. A, I've been a Hellman's girl, and I love Hellman's. Um, I love Hellman's, but some people don't like mayonnaise. It's like a thing or a texture or something. Yeah, I know. I don't get it. But Russian dressing, you're you're on to that. I mean, that's they're they're Reuben. They're known like they're turkey Reuben, right. they're regular Reuben. Um, it's really good. I mean, it's like there's. It's, it's really good as an understatement. So, but I'm excited to talk to him to, to fix, see how he grew this into a business more than just a one-stop deli at um, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So anyways, thank you. That's the show. Thank you. <laughs> it was fun. Um, wishing you all the best. Can't wait to see what you do next, how you continue to excel in this industry and to come back and eat all your amazing food. Thank you. Awesome to talk to you. Same here. As always. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, and I'll, I'm going to read out where to find you, but I'm going to keep following you on social because it's fun. So my guest today has been Alex Stupak. He's the chef and co-owner of Empion Restaurant Group and Misha in New York City. His websites are empion.com and misha-nyc.com, and that's M-I-S-C-H-A. Um, you can follow him at, at Alex Stupak, at Empion, at Empion Taqueria, Empion Pastor, and at Misha.nyc. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Check out my new book, which is out now. It's called ChefWise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World. It's by Biden and available wherever books are sold. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Alex. And thanks to his awesome publicist, Jesse. I'm your host and producer and author, Sherry Bayer. I will be back with a new show with Ari in mid-September. This, again, will be airing next week. So um, stay well, and thank you, as always, for being part of all in the industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>